I'm Sarah. And I'm Joanna. <laughs> and we are your therapist next door. Join us as we demystify therapy and destigmatize mental health. Every episode, we interview a healthcare professional. It is sometimes serious. It is sometimes sad. It is Ooh. most times ridiculous. That's great. Uh, this week, we welcome back Yulia Golubev, who works as a licensed mental health counselor in the state of New York. Ooh, Ooh welcome back. Welcome everyone to Therapist Next Door, the podcast that shows you the human side of your friendly neighborhood healthcare worker. We do this by interviewing someone in a helping profession, asking questions that you want the answers to desperately, and answering questions you didn't know you had. I'm Joanna, a board-certified music therapist <laughs> and a licensed professional counselor in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm a white, straight, cisgender female, and my pronouns are she, hers, and when I was younger, I needed to check every bathroom just to see what it looked like in every place that, that I went with my parents. So, uh, I don't know what that says about me, but like to make sure it was there. I just like to working. check it out just to check it out. It was how, um, how I chose my preschool because they had tiny toilets <gasps> and that was exciting to me because <laughs> they had cute. like me sized toilets. And I was like, this is the place guys, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> so that's very cool yeah. I love that. Um, yep. um and i'm sarah sarah an lpc oh. from pennsylvania hi phonetically sarah an lpc from pennsylvania transplant from south jersey i'm a cishet white woman and my pronouns are she her and i uh every time i walk past a bush or a tree i need to pick a leaf off <laughs> okay um that has since subsided since i've gotten stung by bees twice doing that <laughs> I was gonna ask, like, have you ever been like, like I've been picked the wrong leaf though? Because sometimes leaves leaf. are are dangerous. You know, they got like stuff I've, on them. They are they're dangerous. The other day, I I tried to pick a leaf off of a neighbor's tree, and I pulled an entire branch off. Oh no! <laughs> and I, uh, it was like a Japanese red maple tree, and I didn't. Oh even... gosh! I, just... <laughs> I was very silly, and I kept walking. I walked home with it and put it in water, and it died three days later. <laughs> It's, it was actually a it was actually a really big deal um everybody's okay no one saw yeah, me um, yeah that's me what do you do with the leaves um I'll rip them up it's it's I mean it's a it's a mild compulsion definitely like ripping them in half and in half again mm -hmm. um I have like done it less as of late because I'm realizing that like it's I'm just trying to be mindful generally of my impact on the world. And that's part of it. Like not trying to um, take things with, yeah. with no need. Um, maybe it's a bit of a, maybe it's a nervous habit, but I, I just think it's something I do. If I see something, I'm like, oh, pull off break. <laughs> <laughs> when I was younger, there was a, there was this big, uh, there was this big tree on our corner. Um mm -hmm. And I would call it the ticket tree and I'd take a ticket, like a little leaf from it every time I walked past it. And I'd make people take tickets from the ticket tree with me. And uh, I didn't stop doing that. I just stopped living there. So when I go okay. back, I take a ticket from the ticket tree. <laughs> That's nice. I don't know. Yeah, it yeah, seems like, cool. I don't know. Yeah. Calming. Yeah. It's a lot of things, but yeah. <laughs> that That's very nice of you. <laughs> 
I mean, it just reminds me of like the deli and like taking the tickets from the deli and like how exciting that was. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. Just and they like, give I you did... a piece of cheese. <gasps> I did love getting pieces of cheese. I didn't know that happened in other places. <laughs> Is that a deli thing? I Not guess just... so. They're like, do you like this thickness? They just do it so the kid can have a piece of cheese. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Do you know what that like awoke for me? Just having like <laughs> cheese at my disposal. Well, yeah. probably woke something for you too because we were yeah. always getting cheese plates back in the day. Oh my gosh! Yeah, who knew those those deli workers were cultivating a cheese a cheese connoisseur? I I was recently eating cheese plates multiple for my birthday, and because uh, I had one for an appetizer and one for dessert, um, they were the same mm-hmm. cheese plate. Um, <laughs> And uh, I was like, you know what? I think it would be okay if I was a cheesemonger. Like, I think I'd I'd be okay. Like, I I would really enjoy that. I am lactose intolerant, but you know, (laughs) yeah. I think a I think a cool job would be working at like the Bruno Brothers, um, for our Philly friends. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to explain it, so don't just. It's like a cheese. It's a cheese and meat place. Uh, They're good sandwiches too. It's near my doctor's office, so. I've I've scattered out the good sandwiches around the doctor's office. Um, yeah, so so good, like a, like an Italian deli style like oh, yes. grocery store. Oh yeah. Um, what was I gonna? Oh, because I worked at Whole Foods for like a year, and I was like, mm-hmm. you know what? I think my next step from cashier is cheesemonger, uh, which doesn't work because you have to like have some sort of like experience. <laughs> I don't know how you get cheesemongering experience. Maybe this is something I'm going to discover for myself. Um, but uh, that seems but like yeah. a family, a family thing you pass on. Yeah, so you're just like kind of lucky to. Yeah, I guess I think they call it like the cheese buyer at Whole Foods, but every Whole Foods has a cheese buyer, and that's their cheesemonger hmm. who buys the cheese for the Whole Foods. Uh, I mean, this is this is pre Amazon, so I don't know if it has changed. That's a lot but, of pressure. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, what job isn't? Am I right? Yeah, yeah. People, but like, do people get angry about cheese? I don't know. This is now. Now I'm like having a philosophical debate in my head. Um, Yeah, that's yeah. I get excited about cheese when they're like, "Here's this new cheese." It's like you know, Belle going into the bookstore. uh, Like, oh, here's a new book you haven't read yet. And then they're like, Joanna, you've had, you've eaten that cheese 10 times. Yeah. And then uh, you describe it. And yeah. Instead of French charming. I'm like, yeah, it's got some notes cheese. of hazelnut in there. And yeah, uh, the rind is is really delicious. I don't know. Maybe I need to like read a book on cheesemongering. I don't know. That would be good. And then we can come back to this bit. And yeah, this is such a good bit. That's so <laughs> <Yeah>. funny. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on from cheese. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you have any uh, floors to scrub? No, I don't believe I have any floors to scrub. Do you, or do you think I do? <laughs> have any floors? I don't think scrub? you do. No, um, okay, I don't think I do. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I've got physical floors that definitely need to be scrubbed because a dog is shedding. Uh, Her, and now she's just eating uh, cardboard right now. So yeah, it's helpful. Anyway, yeah. So shout, I think we're good. The pumpkin. Yeah, yeah, we're good. All right, cool. Excellent. Right. Excellent housekeeping. Talk soon. <laughs> Yeah, stay tuned after the break for our history lesson.
And now it's time for our lesson. The lesson is compiled facts describing history and or current events, good and bad, in order to give context for the field our guest works in. We have one source for today, Joanna. Woohoo! It's an article entitled 100 Years of College Mental Health. 100 years. That's a lot of years. By David Peacraft, MD, MPH, via the Journal of American College Mental Health. Trigger warning today. None. Enjoy. All right, Joanna, we're going to talk about the history of college mental health, as previously stated. <laughs> In the early 19th century, American psychiatry focused on the treatment of mentally disturbed patients with organic illnesses using, quote, moral treatment, which was a method of re-educating patients in smaller institutions. This work was influenced by Dr. Benjamin Rush, who we've heard of before, the father of American psychiatry. Uh, previously, we had loved him until <laughs> we remembered that he was a landowner in the <laughs> 1700s. All right. Yeah. Other, and, yeah, other emotional problems were judged to be spiritual or moral deficiencies beyond the purview of medical specialists. Wow. Colleges and universities excuse me, colleges and universities during this early period encouraged students to engage in physical education as a complement to their academic pursuits and counseling was left to teachers and clergy. Mm. American psychiatrists continued to treat patients with psychotic disorders from 1850 to to 1900 in hospitals for the insane. By the late 1800s, psychologists and social workers began helping to care for hospitalized patients. Psychiatrists in the United States seldom dealt with milder problems that were viewed as psychosocial issues until neurologists in Europe, including Sigmund Freud, Began to, tr- began to treat functional or non-organic illnesses, as well as some seriously disturbed patients. Beginning in 1861 with a first college health program. So this is just health program, like a doctor at your school. Mm. This was at Amherst College. So colleges and universities began to develop student health services that focused on physical illnesses. These programs emphasized healthy exercise for students to avoid emotional problems. All right. Although the campus physicians provided general support for students, no other counseling services were available apart from the faculty and clergy. American psychiatry began, became heavily influenced by the mental hygiene movement during the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. Psychiatrists were now trained in both physical treatments for the, severity, for the severely mentally ill and in psychodynamic, quote, talking, unquote, therapies for psychoneurotic disorders. All right. The professionals, uh, the professions of clinical psychology and social work utilizing psychotherapy and social therapy needs were firmly established as part of the mental hygiene movement. Stuart Patton, who was a psychiatrist, organized the first dedicated mental health service for students with, quote, personality development, and quote, problems at Princeton University in 1910. So this is the first mental health service at a college. Wow. 1910. Mm-hmm. Stephen Pat Stuart Pet. Good job, Stuart. <laughs> Good job, Stuart. This was in response to an observation that many well qual- This was in response to an observation that many well-qualified Princeton students were leaving without completing their courses of study because of the emotional and personality issues. Interesting. Mm-hmm. In nineteen twenty, at the first meeting of the American Student Health Association. The forerunner of the American College Health Association, ACHA, the importance of mental hygiene was recognized during an address by Frankwood Williams, MD. Beautiful first name. He outlined four reasons for establishing a mental health program. 
the first being conservation of the student body so that intellectually capable students may not be forced unnecessarily to withdraw, but may be retained. The second being forestalling of failure in the form of nervous and mental diseases, immediate or remote. The third, minimizing of partial failure and later mediocrity, inadequacy, inefficiency, and unhappiness. And for, for making possible of a large individual usefulness by giving to each a fuller use of the intellectual capacity he possesses through widening the sphere of conscious control and thereby widening the sphere of social control. Ooh, there we go. That's a great language. I just want to, that's a great language. That's a wonderful way to talk about people. Yes. Frank Wood. Thank you. Um, In 1931, the first national conference on health in colleges was held in Syracuse, New York. Unfortunately at the third national conference on health in colleges held in New York city in 1947, a survey presented by Clement C. Fry, MD, a psychiatrist at Yale University, we got a lot of beautiful first names here, uh, <laughs> indicated that little had changed regarding the limited psychiatric services on most campuses. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, in, 1950, in 1950, a report by the Group for the Advancement of Psychiatry, GAP, concluded that personal counseling on campuses should be ancillary to the psychiatric student health services. As soon as the report was published, Dana Farnsworth, wow, we got a Fry and a Farnsworth here, um, MD, a psychiatrist at Harvard University Health Service, criticized the conclusion as a un- as unrealistic due to the insufficient number of psychiatrists available to preside to provide the services. Dr. Farnsworth proposed a more realistic alternative to the use of Dr. Farnsworth proposed a more realistic alternative to use a psychiatrist as a consultant for difficult cases, whereas the majority of students could be served by other qualified mental health professionals. He also emphasized that the college mental health professional has a dual responsibility, not only to the student asking for help, but also to the higher education institution to make it a healthier place for all students. Good call on his part. Good call, Dana. Yeah. By the 1950s, many schools were using multidisciplinary staff, including psychiatrists, psychologists, and psychiatric social workers to treat students with mental health and emotional problems. So it seems like we're moving away from personality uh, deficiencies to emotional problems, which I'm a fan of. Multidisciplinary teams provided direct care for students using psychotherapy, medication assists, consultation with faculty and staff, and prevention-oriented mental health education. That's so awesome. These early college mental health programs provided an early model for managed care because they were often supported through prepaid funding. For example, they were supported by college or university funds at no additional financial cost to the students or parents. I hope that continues. Yes. Shortly after World War II, (laughs) the GI Bill funded educational expenses for veterans wanting to return to school. This led to an increase in enrollment at colleges and universities, junior and community colleges, and specialty schools. This was similarly an increased, there was similarly an increased need for more mental health professionals trained in clinical psychology, psychiatric social work, and psychiatry to meet the demands for services. College mental health services expanded even more rapidly in the 1960s as the baby boomers reached college age. By that time, college health services were well-established, although college mental health services at many campuses were split between small psychiatric consultation services connected with student health services 
services, services, and separate psychological counseling centers. The same era was marked by a rise in political activity, if you can recall, on most campuses, as well as drug and alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know. (laughs) We heard. We heard through the grapevine. As well as drug and alcohol abuse by young adults associated with, quote, hippies, end quote, and huge concerts like the one at Woodstock, New York in 1969. Political opposition to the Vietnam War also resulted in distrust of traditional health professionals and the rise of alternate alternative peer counseling services. So, I, I mean, this is like just a reminder, the late 60s and 70s are very reflective of this time. Um, just that with the with the tumultuousness that we're dealing with. Students at many campuses established drop-in services, usually separate from the traditional mental health and counseling services. Discussions with ACHA in the early 70s helped resolve some of these tensions by providing health education resources for campuses to assist in peer drug and alcohol counseling services. Can you imagine just being in college and doing peer counseling? I just like what a cool opportunity that would be. Also, I don't know if I would would have been emotionally mature enough for that in college. Later, the traditional mental health and peer services at most campuses were combined. Although many mental health professionals initially felt uncomfortable and poorly trained for drug and alcohol abuse treatment, they eventually assumed responsibility for such services due to the needs of the students. Although funding for college mental health and counseling services initially came from general university revenues, many campuses began charging separate health fees for the student health service to support prepaid routine services that included basic mental health care. Many campuses looked at ways to streamline counseling services and shift costs for mental health counseling to the student health fees and or separate health insurance coverage. The result was the merger of counseling services with psychiatric and mental health services at many schools. The multidisciplinary mental health service became the norm rather than the exception. The National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism sponsored prevention-oriented programs targeted at college students in the mid-1970s through a series of conferences, publications, and a grant program. At ACHA, extensive discussions between the mental health and health education sections led to cooperative efforts on most campuses to assess the needs to develop more effective prevention programs for alcohol and drug use problems. Robert Arnstein, MD, psychiatrist at the Yale University Health Services, formed a committee in the late 1970s to assist the American Psychiatric Association to develop criteria for the DSM-3. <gasps> yeah, if you remember our DSM episode, uh, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Psychi- Psychiatric Disorders. Uh, we're on five right now. TR. Five TR. The committee's text reviewed. Are, is that the text? What is it? Text revision. Text revision. <laughs> yeah. Check out our episode. We're smart. Yeah, we, we remember. Um, the committee's efforts helped to refine the diagnostic categories in the manuals that they that they were more ap- applicable to college students. In 1983, Dr. Arnstein again sought suggestions from the mental health section members for changes to the proposed DSM-4. This resulted in a set of diagnostic categories even more applicable to students than previous versions, such as the addition of different types of adjustment disorders, eating disorders, and learning problems. A significant trend during the last 40 years that has influenced the college mental health field has been the growth and sophistication of health education. Initially focusing on education efforts around medical and public health issues, health education soon expanded into prevention, mental health, and substance abuse areas. 
Although many mental health professionals are trained and experienced as mental health educators, cooperation with health education specialists has expanded educational efforts for the entire college community. And with that, stay tuned after the break as we talk to our interviewee for today. Yulia Golubev is a licensed mental health counselor in the state of New York. She is a seasoned bilingual bicultural psychotherapist who has been seeing clients for over 14 years. She has been running her private practice since 2017. Prior to starting her private practice, Yulia worked with a diverse set of clients in a variety of clinical settings, including college counseling, outpatient substance abuse programs, crisis call center, and hospitals. Yulia has provided a spectrum of clinical services, including individual, group, family therapies, crisis intervention, and supervision. Yulia is passionate about professional advocacy and teaching. She served one term as the professional development chair and vice president for the NYC chapter of the New York Mental Health Counseling Association. Yulia is a part-time adjunct professor at St. Francis College. She teaches undergraduate classes of general psychology and child and adolescent development. Yulia also enjoys volunteering to decrease the stigma of mental health. Yulia lives with her family in Brooklyn. When not in the office, she enjoys discovering new hiking trails, strolling NYC neighborhoods, going to the theater and trying new recipes. Yulia, welcome back. We are so happy to have you back a second time. Welcome. Happy to be back. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. So I know that during your previous episode, we were talking a lot about perinatal care and mental health for new parents and also parents make, uh, making a decision to grow their family or, mm-hmm. you know, other, other, other thoughts that were coming to mind. What would you like to talk about with us today? Yeah, today I was uh, thinking about talking to uh, clients that I often work um, college population or this age gap um, from 18 to 29 that's called emerging adulthood. All right, that's wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about the development? I mean, that's a that is quite an age gap. Can you talk yeah. to us a little bit about the development yeah, so for those ab- folks? Absolutely. So I work a lot with the college students who who are doing their bachelor degrees or who are completing their um, advanced degree, whether it's master's degree or PhD. Uh, a lot of time it's very competitive degrees, uh, the client that they work. And a lot of times I notice it's encounter lots of challenges. So the, uh, the typical issues that uh, I see uh, according to developmental state is how uh, a person uh, navigate the relationship, how the person navigate the intimacy aspect, the emotional uh, aspect, how the person build a friendship and, and how the person uh, develop different identities that's so important and so challenging and difficult at this age, like vocational identity, career identity, academic identity. Yeah, so it's this age, um, the beauty and the challenge of this age that it's very exciting stage of the life, but at the same time, it brings so many novel experience that uh, definitely create uh, different mixed feelings or emotions going through them. Yeah, I, I can't imagine when, you know, being kind of 
thrust into college and how that, you know, impacts your identity because kind of everything you've known and been comfortable with is gone. Right. And you've got to like create this community yourself. Absolutely. And if you think about now when you're not in college, like, wow, it's really difficult. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's scary. It's scary, right? <laughs> I don't want to do it again. <laughs> exactly. Right. So notice, and you say it with some ease, like there is so no judgment about that. But when we are in this situation, uh, a lot of times, uh, what I notice is what I witness, it's a lot of self judgment, I should have not feel it, I should not go through this, I should be in point B, but I'm in point A. So it's a lot of uh, beat up, right? It's a lot of self judgment that comes uh, in this um, experience. And also, developmental psychologists tell us, like, uh, in a way, the irony uh, of this age, there is a lot of opportunities to make friends, to build uh, the connection that can last. It's a lot of opportunities, you know, to expose yourself to social setting, different social events, parties. But at the same time, the developmental psychologists tell us that this age uh, have a lot of loneliness. So the loneliness team it's not only the fear of missing out it's actually documented by and evidenced by developmental psychologists despite of all these opportunities uh the loneliness theme is a real theme yeah yeah how do you think social media presence and i mean you know that that fear of missing out and that fomo that we see now with these this age yeah. group how do you think that's affected it absolutely it's definitely create this fertile soil like if you grow a plant you put soil you put water so the plant will grow this from the seed it will grow a beautiful plant so this insecurities social media definitely create this fertile soil for all this um i'm not enough or i'm not important i'm not an interesting person uh, other people having a great life it's only me so it's really intensify this aspect it's something wrong with me it's about me that i'm going through this experience other people do not go through this experience so that the, the sense of kind of existential isolation yeah really painful and challenging yeah it's bringing me back to my college experience yeah so cool. yeah <laughs> You know, and, you know, what's coming up for me, because um, it's interesting, I did some of my college year back in my country. So when I came to United States, uh, I was still living with a parent. So I was doing city college. But, you know, just a moment, like to think like when a person is what, 18 or 19, he just thrown in a new environment. And new people, uh, people that you share this, the living space, the house, oh, yeah. on the top, uh, you have to perform with all this academics. Or if you think about brain, aware brain awareness, all this really uh, huge pressure when it comes to finance, right? Because uh, higher education in the United States is not free. It's extremely expensive. So all this pressure, I have to succeed and all this pressure um, when it comes to students' loan, right? 
whether the, the students are paying for them or somebody helping them it's a lot it's a lot it's like when you're gonna put together all this you know pieces of puzzles it's it's really create this like you said it's frightening <laughs> it's scary for you to think back how yeah. you survive I yeah. don't know and how I did it <laughs> exactly and a lot of times it's kind of a survival mode but it's it's a taboo it's not talk about it so that's what also I bring myself because for me as an outsider who never been through this experience it looks like wow it's a big challenge how are you doing this but a lot of time what I hear not is like a big challenge, but other people doing better or something wrong with me or I'm the only one. So you really are going, uh, having a deep dive into like what's happening, you know, between the lines, what interpretation you're making. What does it mean that you encounter this challenge? Does it sound the familiar that you carry? from your childhood, from your teen years, like this negative safe, mm. this negative uh, labels yeah. about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking about also just like, I mean, developmentally, we go through a huge, like it is developmentally the time that we figure out our identity too. So exactly. it's like, and there is no certainty, like who's gonna, <laughs> who's gonna tell you when you're 20, okay, when you graduate college, you're gonna get a job or in the five years in your career, this is where the place you're going to be, or this is mm -hmm. what's going to happen with your finance. It's uncertain. And because it's uncertain, it's so scary. And a lot of time, the familiar place, what I hear from my clients, right? What if it's not going to pay off? What if I'm not going to find a job? What if I'm going to fail? What is going to be really bad when it comes to money, right? Finance. And that's only the iceberg. Also, the big theme, what was intensifying all of uh, experience, whether you're a college student or not, going through pandemic, all right, the uncertainty with economy, all these tragic events that we like recently bombarded, the uncertainty in the world, like events in uh, the war in Ukraine, it's really scary. And if you're not scared, the that I would be surprised. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm Yulia, I'm so grateful that you're that you're shedding a positive light on, you know, a group of people that's really judged harshly, mm -hmm. I think, in the media and I mean, you know, TV and movies too. And just because we are so influenced by media by the regular person. I mean, we if you like listen to the language that's being used in this big conversation about uh debt forgiveness, there's a lot of like don't forgive these like selfish mm. elites. Don't forgive these like really incorrect assumptions. Like don't forgive these art history and gender studies majors, right. which first of all, those are both kick-ass awesome majors. Second of all, most of the people with student loans are health workers like ourselves and right. um, women and black women mostly. So, I mean, like even just like changing the language to be more compassionate for these people that are very like college age people that are very harshly judged by by the general population in a negative way and I love this compassionate approach of we need to care for them they're actually going through something very challenging and it you're right that that I'm, I'm like going off a little bit too but I'm <laughs> thinking about that right. <laughs> this, this okay. word you're using of I'm defective too how scary that is and how isolating yeah. that is um, yeah and how we don't really always take that seriously 
Right. And all the, uh, again, circling back to developmental theme, it's uh, as a famous developmental psychologist, Eric Erickson said, it's a, it's a crisis or the theme is intimacy versus isolation uh, around this age. So if we think about the pandemic, what happened during pandemic or going through online virtual studies, how it's uh, really create this collective missing out experience at not being connected to your peers, uh, being on your own, uh, create uh, lots of lots of challenges when it comes to academics, uh, when it comes to uh, time management or prioritizing academic tasks. So it's, it's really, it's really a lot or readjusting to from online to in person. That's a huge adjustment. Like first, students have to relearn, right? How to live back with their families or being on their own or being isolated. Now they have to relearn how it's like to be back with your peers. And it's so many challenges. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, it's, it's reminding me of a time there was a, I went to school in Washington, DC and there was a large snowstorm. I think it was the first snowpocalypse like that yeah. people talked about and our school was closed for a week right. and they were like really, really focused on our mental health because we right. were like stuck inside for a right. week. Yeah. Right. And like, that was just one week and this has been just one week. Right. <laughs> almost, it's, you know, two and a half years coming up, you know, so uh, I can't even imagine what it must be like because we were, you know, we were running around in the snow. Right. Just, you know, as 18, right. 19 year olds, exactly. like this is the best thing ever. Right. Uh, yeah. For the first two days. And then after a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like when school closed of the winter. Yeah. Oh, it's fun. Right. But when it's not the winter day and you have to stay inside and you cannot see anybody. And yeah. It's like for a year or more, maybe it's not so fun. Maybe it's oh. a really, really frustrating experience. Yeah. Yeah yeah how to bring awareness and really normalize it's been lots of roller coaster lots of world roller coaster mm -hmm. lots of personal roller coaster living back with your family going back to campus so yeah it's it's a lot yeah and i think highlighting to you that this is a developmental stage like it's not something that is that is their fault or your fault like this is this is what's naturally happening to you right now right. developmentally like this is yeah. you know it's it happens for everyone yeah absolutely you're trying different identities you're trying on as a new piece of clothes you're noticing if it's fitting you not fitting you what's coming up around this experience and it in, in a way it's very novel experience but also I notice in of course we are creatures of habits so definitely students when they go into college or when they live with a roommate uh, navigate housing situation friendship or relationship definitely all patterns show up right so how things were dealt in their family of origin and mm -hmm. It's really interesting uh, to notice that, pay attention to them, and to bring awareness to that. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine we we all have this. We all have you know eighteen to twenty years of 
right. of living with our family of origin exactly. and things right. that are normal. Exactly. And all of a right. sudden someone's yeah. like, oh, you do this? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So true. So we are creature of habits. So we thrive on repetitions. So we've been rehearsing 18 to 20 years, day to day, many, many, many times. Right. Mm-hmm. And now you throw them in, in a different setting and you still maybe trying uh, strategies or pattern what was helpful in your family. And you're noticing that it may not be always helpful in this in new setting. So this disconnect, it's how do you bring curiosity and uh, really noticing what's happening. If, for example, when you ask your roommate that maybe you do not uh, when you ask, when you share with your roommates uh, your needs, what what kind of response do you have, or what what when you share about your specific need with your partner, is it new response? Is it what was your prediction the response going to be? So yeah, it's really interesting and helpful for the client to notice these discrepancies. Hello, listeners. This is Joanna. As always, a deep thanks to you for listening. We're so excited to continue this interview, so stay tuned for part two coming to you soon. If you would like early access to full interviews, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash tndpodcast. That's patreon.com slash tndpodcast. Take a look at the show notes for important links. And as always, we are your therapists next door. Thank you.